Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there. We just want to say thank you for tuning in and dialing us up. Uh, where we're always talking everything college hoops. Thanks to Blog Talk Radio for powering us up and getting us in your earbuds and speakers. Thanks to Bell Jar for the intro and outro music. Like what you're hearing there. Give them a little listen on iTunes. Thanks for carving out some time. You could have been anywhere else on the dial, but you chose to be here with us, Mike and Gus, and we appreciate that, especially during the off season for our sport that we love, college basketball. Listeners, listen, we were... Thinking of what are we going to do? What, what are we going to dial up here? You know, we got the NBA draft coming in June. But in the meantime, we want to entertain you guys. We want to give you something to chew on, something to wrap your mind around. So you know what we did? We dialed up one of our old friends, Chris Murray from the Reno Gazette Journal, to talk some Nevada hoops, give a little recap of the season, the unbelievable Sweet 16 run that the Wolf Pack had, the, 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 you know, the memorable 22-point comeback against Cincinnati. We talked some recruiting news, and of course, we talked – the uh, NBA declaration of Cody Martin, Caleb Martin, and, and Jordan Caroline. And we save that to the end of the interview. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that to the very end. Please don't forget to give Chris a follow at Murray RGJ, capital M, capital R, capital G, capital J on Twitter. Excellent follow. And you can read up on any of Chris Murray's items on rgj.com that's arena gazette journal.com uh, so please don't be afraid to dial those items up if you're looking for a little bit more from uh, our good friend of the podcast chris murray just want to say a nice thanks to him to give us some extended time during the off season he was absolutely phenomenal unbelievable and really insightful with all of his knowledge and especially with his time so thank you chris we want to say uh look if you like what you're listening to Please give the podcast a follow at SDS Podcast. Efficiency of keystrokes, of course. Looking for a little SDS Podcast in print? You can dial up Mike's site, RandallRant.com. He's got some excellent things up there for you, and he even got his his fantasy football mind dialed up, so you can dial up. Uh, you can consume a couple of items there if you're looking for that. If you're really, really interested in the NBA draft, we're going to point your we're going to point you in the direction of the. Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast YouTube channel. We put it out on Twitter. We've got a couple of these reviews up. Mike and I are going to be uh, hot and heavy uh, with these leading up to the NBA draft. Uh, we got a Malik Newman review out there. We got a we got a, uh, a Shake Milton review out there uh, of what the co- uh, possible NBA prospects of these players might be. So if you're looking for something to you know three four minute watch to catch up on you know who you might like in the NBA draft. Check that out. It's pretty cool. We're playing around with that. We're really enjoying putting that together for you. And then, of course, if you really like what you're listening to here, you really like what Chris uh, brought to the podcast, give us a review on I, you know, Apple uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That'd be amazing. That would be, you know, give us a five-star review, subscribe to the podcast, and, and maybe write a couple of nice things. Any nice reviews we get during the off-season, of course, we will give you a shout-out on the podcast. So please don't be afraid to do that. So, uh, listeners... Sit back, relax, and I hope this takes up a commute for you, whether it be driving or on the train or, or likewise, and please enjoy the conversation with Chris Murray from the Reno Gazette Journal. Cheers.
Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Screen to Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there. So glad that you're tuning in during the offseason. We got a little treat for you guys. We have Chris Murray from the Reno Gazette Journal to give us a review of the incredible season at Nevada and the, what the Wolfpack experienced, and then maybe do a little uh, off-season uh, talk draft preview at the end. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining the podcast. How's everything going on your end? Good. How are you doing? So I guess we'll just jump right into it. It was an amazing ride for the Wolfpack. Uh, Chris, can you walk us through a couple of like the defining moments of the Nevada Sweet 16, Nevada Sweet 16 run? You just want to start with like the overall review of the season, like being nationally ranked and, and, and being part of like the college basketball dialogue the entire season? Yeah, I mean, obviously the season started with high expectations. I mean, Nevada was coming off an NCAA tournament run and the previous year, and, you know, they had lost some key pieces in Marcus Marshall and Cameron Oliver and DJ Fenner, all conference players. But, you know, the, the expectation was, you know, at minimum, they had to make the NCAA tournament. And, you know, basically to call it a successful season, they had to win at least one game when they got to that tournament. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of times where teams have expectations like that, and they just aren't able to match it because it's hard to get into the tournament and win games. Um, you know, but despite a bunch of turnover with the roster, I mean, they were able to do some pretty uh, historic things. I mean, the 29 wins are tied for the most in school history. The Sweet 16 is the furthest any Nevada team or Mountain West team has ever gone in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, they won back-to-back outright Mountain West titles. That had only been done once before by BYU in the uh, the uh, mid-2000s. Um, so it, they did a lot of things that people didn't, uh, you know, expect them to do, even though there were those high expectations. Uh, I think it's arguably the best team and best season in Nevada basketball history. Um, you know, they've been playing basketball for more than a century, so that says a lot about what kind of season it was. Uh, you know, they were ranked for the first time in a decade. So, um, you know, it, it was just from start to finish, just a, a great season for Nevada and one that, uh, you know, was marked with adversity. I mean, you lose like a starting point guard uh, in Lindsey Drew to a torn Achilles. You have a player dismissed from the team. You're basically down to six players by the end of the season. So they were able to overcome a lot and, and make a lot of great memories. And, uh, you know, with all that being said, I think, uh, you know, some some fans and certainly some of the players will look back and say, you know, they could have done even more because, uh, you know, you lose to Loyola Chicago, which is a good team, uh, without a doubt, uh, but you lose them by one point in the Sweet 16 in a game where you had the more talented players and then you would have gotten Kansas State the following round. Uh, so they, they very easily could have been in the Final Four. They also very easily could have lost their first or second round, given how miraculous those comebacks were. So overall, a great season, but maybe a season, uh, you know, that could have been even a little bit more greater had they, you know, played a little bit better in their Sweet 16 game. Yeah, I, I think there's that, that definite balance, that seesaw effect, where you want to celebrate all the accomplishments that you mentioned right there. You know, the the Sweet 16, the the comparison to the Vizikas and uh, Sessions uh, teams from uh, a past Sweet 16 success. Of course, you have to bring up the the crisis that hit with the, with the Drew injury. Do you want to just take us through like the problem solving that the coaching staff like accomplished uh, by throwing Cody some of the point minutes and some of the other players on the roster playing heavy minutes everywhere else? Yeah, I think the, the main reason they were able to maneuver around that and really not take a huge fall down is because of the way they kind of constructed the roster in the first place. I mean, they basically just got a bunch of six foot seven players who can all handle the ball, who can all shoot three pointers, who are all versatile enough to play three or four positions. So when you do lose, you know, a point guard, Lindsey Drew, who had been the team starter at that position for the last three seasons, you know, that, that could really set back a lot of teams who don't have a capable backup point guard to step into that role. Uh, you know, Nevada's fortunate enough that they were able to, you know, plug Cody Martin into that position. And Cody played uh, a good chunk of point guard minutes, uh, even when Lindsey was healthy. Um, but he basically moved from the power forward position as a point forward into the pure point guard position. And his game even took off even more. I mean, 
after Lindsey got hurt, uh, you know, he really became the main distributor and playmaker. Uh, and from that point forward, he averaged, you know, a nearly 20 points per game, around seven, eight assists per game, around six, seven rebounds per game, uh, you know, a couple blocks and a couple steals per game. So I just think, uh, you know, that their ability uh, to have such a versatile roster in the first place allowed them to overcome that. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, like you said, I mean, playing a ton of minutes, that's something that, that Coach Musselman's teams have done throughout the years. I mean, this is his third year at Nevada. He's really never had a rotation more than eight players, and sometimes it's been six or seven players, um, just based on the fact that he loves transfers. So he usually has three or four transfers sitting out every year, soaking up three or four scholarships. That was the case again last season. They obviously had forced it out transfers. Yeah, we mentioned the injury and we mentioned the uh, the, the dismissal of, of Darian Williams. So um, that kind of put them in a position right. that they've been in, you know, the last three seasons. And that's why next season will be a lot more interesting and a lot more different because, uh, you know, they're legitimately going to have 9, 10, 11 guys, depending on what they do with their last available scholarship and whether Lindsay will be back and, uh, you know, will be playing next season or whether he'll take a red shirt. So, uh, you know, they can go double digits deep next season, whether they uh, opt to do that um you know that that'll be up to coach musselman but uh i think that's the reason why you know they're projected in a lot of these preseason you know way too early 2018 preseason polls as being a top 10 team because uh as long as the martins and jordan caroline come back they're testing the draft waters if they come back uh you have that star power and then on top of that you have the depth uh which they've had the star power since coach has been there uh, but they haven't had that depth so for the first time they'll really have a lineup of guys that they can rotate uh, and, you know, play guys high 20 minutes rather than high 30 minutes. Yeah, that I think the, the heavy minutes wasn't an issue because those guys knew that going into the team construct this particular season. And, yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, moving forward with the transfers that are coming in and hopefully with uh, the crew that you mentioned returning from testing the waters, they'll have some, uh, like, unusual depth that Coach Musselman has never had uh, at his disposal before at Nevada. Hey, do you want to just, if there's something that stuck out to you from either the Texas OT win or the historic 22 point comeback against the number two defensive efficiency team via Ken Palm Cincinnati, like if you want to bring like a highlight or two from one of those games uh, that really stood out and really defined this, this team, this particular season. Yeah. I mean, I think there were two things that went into those comebacks that allowed for them to happen. I think you go back to last year's game against New Mexico Nevada was down 25 mm. points in that game and ended up winning. Uh, but it was even more drastic than that. I mean, they were down like, you know, 19 points with five minutes to go and 14 points with basically 75 seconds to go. Uh, right. You know, that was a, that was, that was a, you know, more miraculous comeback than, than any I've ever seen, uh, including the Cincinnati game, just because of how little time there was left on the clock. So I think, uh, you know, just being conditioned from that experience really helped them in this experience, knowing that the game's not over because they've done something crazy before. And then you look at the Mountain West Tournament semifinal game against San Diego. Nevada was down by 34 points in the first half. They were down by 30 uh, at halftime. And they really weren't able to make a charge. Coach Musselman said that's the first time that he felt like the team, uh, he didn't use the word gave up, but that's the first time they didn't really show the resolve uh, that he wanted to see from the team. It was the first time they had lost, and the only time they lost all season by double digits. Uh, They were able to cut the lead a a little at the end. They lost by 17 um, but mm-hmm. they just did not react well to being in such a gigantic hole. And that game was played, you know, literally a week before the Cincinnati game was played. Um, so I think they learned something from that experience that, you know, you have to keep playing. If you give in even a little bit, you're not going to be able to make a comeback. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, coming back from down 14 against Texas in, in the first round, uh, you know, kind of put them in the mindset that they could do something special. But I don't think anybody was expecting them when they're down 22 to Cincinnati. 
uh, that they're going to come back and win that game in the second half. It just seemed too much of a hole to, to dig out of. And, you know, a guy who was, you know, pretty maligned uh, from Wolfpack fans throughout the season, Josh Hall, uh, really delivered a ton in the in the tournament and, you know, even in the Mountain West tournament. I mean, you look at his sure did, yeah. postseason, yeah, the, the last, you know, two seasons in Mountain West tournament and NCAA tournament versus regular season, he's been a completely different player. Uh, you know, he hadn't fallen all the way out of the rotation, but he was getting pretty limited minutes at some parts during the season. Uh, for him to respond so well and hit that game-winning shot with 9.1 seconds left against Cincinnati, and, you know, more so than that, I mean, he gave them a fifth, a reliable player to go with the Martin Twins, Jordan Caroline, and Kendall Stevens that they desperately needed because they didn't have Lindsey Drew's, you know, consistent production. And, uh, you know, I think Josh really uh, shined during the tournament, and I think that will help him a ton, you know, heading into his junior season. I mean, there were, you know, thoughts that he might transfer just because he wasn't really fitting into the rotation uh, and, you know, wasn't playing the minutes that he kind of wanted. But obviously the way he ended the season, he's put himself in a very good position uh, heading into his junior season at Nevada. Yeah, for talk with him after that miraculous shot, like you mentioned, has to go out the window. I mean, he I think he's entrenched in, in, Nevada, in Nevada lore and in, in, in historic tournament history there for sure. Hey, I just have another one last question about the tournament. Did you feel like you had any problem with uh, the, the, the position that, that the Wolfpack was in in the endgame situation against Loyal Chicago concerning the number of fouls they had so they couldn't put Loyal Chicago on the line to maybe extend the game a bit or maybe get an extra possession. Were you okay with how they that, that end game played out? Yeah, I mean, I would have fouled personally. So, I mean, Loyola gets the ball with basically 36 seconds to go. Uh, they're a team that likes to run the clock anyways. Um, you know, they can get a good shot in the last two or three seconds of a shot clock. Uh, Nevada had fouls to give. Mm-hmm. They had to give three fouls before they got into the bonus. But I think, you know, that's a perfect right. opportunity to use your length and, you know, take three cracks at it and try and get a steal. I mean, Loyola, it wasn't a high-possession game, but they had 14 turnovers in the game, so they had given it away, you know, a number of times. Mm. And, uh, you know, for Nevada to allow them to take basically the last shot and run down the clock, they're, you know, they're up one. Uh, you know, if, if that shot, that the, the three-pointer that's made with six seconds doesn't hit, the best-case scenario is you get the rebound with maybe five seconds to go and have to go the full length of the court. Uh, Coach Musselman doesn't t- typically take timeouts in that situation. So, you, so you're asking somebody to maybe go the full length of the court with four or five seconds left and, and make a basket as the best-case scenario. And I, I just right. would have preferred to, to foul in that situation. Nevada is such a good three-point shooting team that even if you put them on the line and they hit two, two free throws, you're only down three and you got, you know, 25, 30 seconds uh, to get a good, good shot out of it. So, um, you know, I'm not here to like, criticize Coach Musselman because he's obviously done a, no, a great no. job, but I think he made two pretty big mistakes uh, in that game, that being one, the, the end game situation. And then uh, with about 10 seconds to go in the first half, Nevada had the final possession and Caleb Martin right. and Jordan Caroline had been sitting because they had two personal fouls. He didn't put them into the game, put a walk on Charlie Tooley and uh, Elijah Foster, a scholarship player who plays about five, six minutes a game into the game. Um, right. I would have put, you know, your two best offensive players in the game in that situation. And if you get a bucket at the end of the first half, you know, they lost by one. So if they get a bucket there, maybe they win by one. Um, so maybe a couple of miscues there, but, uh, you know, I don't know that that determined the game. Basically, Nevada just had a poor three-point shooting game. I mean, Kendall Stevens went 0 of 8 during the game, 0 of 8 right. and 3, and he was playing with the injured, you know, shooting thumbs. So can't put a ton of blame on him. But if Nevada shoots its season average from the three-point line in that game, they win that game by 10 points. So uh, it largely it just came down to Nevada did not have a good shooting game. They went through basically an eight-minute stretch where they didn't literally they didn't score a basket. And then the start of the second half, Loyola makes 13 of its first 14 shots, 11 of which are layups or dunks. So they, they just right. did not play their best game, and that ended up costing them. But, yeah, I, I, 
I, a lot of Wolfpack fans have been critical of not fouling and extending the game at the end of the season. I'm with them on that. Got it. Okay. I just want to get your take on it and see where you're at with it. I think we're kind of in the same, uh, you know, we're in the same playground there, the same sandbox. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, let's, uh, let's look forward to next year and let's talk about some of the incoming transfer guys, the guys that were on the practice squad this past season, and maybe just give a quick scout on each one of these guys. So uh, college basketball fans know who they're going to see uh, next season for, uh, for the Wolfpack. How about we start with uh, Trayson Thurman, uh, the six, seven transfer from Omaha. What, what, what do we see him from him on the practice floor? Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best guy to start with because I think he's pretty much the consensus best player in the, uh, you know, the transfer class that's, that's going to be coming mm-hmm. in and being eligible next season. I mean, he's basically like a Jordan Caroline clone. He's a, you know, six foot seven, burly, you know, 235 pound player uh, who was basically stuck in the post at his previous school and wanted to try and expand his game a little bit. So that's why he came to Nevada. So he's going to be able to play on the perimeter a little bit more. Good rebounder, uh, exceptionally competitive, uh, very, very emotional, uh, maybe even to the point where it's a little bit detrimental because, uh, you know, how, how competitive and emotional of a guy that he is. Um, obviously, Jordan Caroline right. is testing the draft waters. If he were to leave, uh, you know, Nevada would get a very similar player in his place. If he were not to leave, Nevada would basically have, you know, they obviously would have twins in Caleb and Cody Martin, but Jordan Caroline and Trayshawn Thurman are very much twins in the way that they play the game and their physical stature. So of the guys who are you know, going to be eligible, I think you can probably bank on him being a productive player, uh, you know, first and foremost out of that, that quartet. And uh, anything stand out with the uh, collection of guards that are coming in, uh, the guard from Portland, the guard from Bryant, and the guard from Wagner? Anything you want to point out about either any of those three? Yeah, I mean they're all very good shooters. Uh, Jazz Johnson, the the guard from Portland, he's only five foot ten, about two hundred and ten pounds. Musselman hasn't mm-hmm. played a ton of smaller guards. He he likes the you know six foot four and over uh, guards, the Phil Jackson style guards. Um, but you know he's he's as good a shooter in my eyes as Kendall Stevens was. He's just you know basically almost a foot shorter. So um, you know sure. that's a that's a big difference as far as you know can he get his shot on a regular basis? Can they you know run him off screen? I see him probably as like a you know a first guard off the bench, kind of a change of pace guy, very quick. Um, and I think he'll be a productive player. Uh, you look at the other guys, Corey Henson coming from Wagner, so he only has one year at Nevada, uh, like Treshawn Thurman. Um, he's he was the best coach. Uh, he went to the Massa Catholic, so he's been uh, exceptionally well coached throughout the throughout his career he's the kind of guy that you know what you're going to get when you put him in he's going to be the most consistent uh you know player of those guards um so if you want consistent okay. production the right basketball play high iq that'd be kind of the guy there and then uh nisre uh Zizua, uh coming from bryant uh averaged basically 20 points per game as a sophomore uh he's probably my favorite uh, to watch i mean these guys are, you know, they're after games or I'm writing my game stories, they're out there practicing, you know, playing their own little games. After practice, they stay after. Like, these guys are, uh, you know, the work ethic is not a problem with any of these guys, but the guy who's kind of caught my eye more than any of them is Nisre. Uh, I know he played really well in, in Nevada's off-season Costa Rica trip, so they, the players obviously couldn't play during the regular season, uh, but Nevada right. took a trip to Costa Rica during the off-season over the summer, and they were uh, allowed to play and him and Jazz kind of stood out more than any of them, um, playing very, very well. Uh, he's also a pretty good shooter, can drive the ball. They don't know exactly whether he's a point guard or a shooting guard at this stage, kind of has skills on both, so I don't know where he necessarily fits in. But I think, you know, Nevada plays such a positional style of game that I think he'll fit in well. Uh, so he's probably my favorite out of those four, uh, just watching him play. And I think he has a really high feeling. It's just going to be hard if the Martin Twins come back and Caroline comes back, you know, to find a consistent 25, 30 minutes. 
for all of these guys, specifically the backcourt guys. So, um, you know, they're all very, very good players. I just don't know that they'll have the impact of a Marcus Marshall or Jordan Caroline or Martin Twins as far as the transfer market is concerned or even a Kendall Stevens just because I, I can't see them getting, you know, 30-plus minutes a game because they're, you know, we, we mentioned Josh Hall, we mentioned Lindsey Drew, the Martin Twins come back, Caroline. I mean, you basically have yep. the starting five there, so these guys are all trying to fight for minutes off the bench. But, you know, a good problem to have, you know, if there's an injury or if there has to be a dismissal or, you know, something happens. Uh, you know, Nevada certainly has the depth that there won't be a lot of drop-off and they can actually turn to their bench and get them, you know, consistent uh, production from those four guys next season. I bet that all Wolfpack fans hope that Coach Musselman and the coaching staff has to solve that problem next season. That sounds like a yeah, it sounds like very promising on all fronts. And Absolutely. one more yeah, one more thing that you wrote about uh, you wrote about the possibility of one of the undeclared Americans, Jordan Brown, having an opportunity and being you know getting a visit from Nevada. Uh, what? Talk a little bit about that and maybe talk about what you wrote about in that article, what kind of difference maker that Brown can be to this particular roster. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of seemed far-fetched. I mean, Nevada was the first school to offer him. He was only a sophomore. He's a Sacramento-area kid, so right across the street, you know, basically a two-hour drive from Reno. And, uh, you know, even at that time, yep. he was thought of as a four-star, five-star kind of prospect, even though he, you know, was still three, four years away from graduating college. And, Nevada's just been able to stick in there and stay in the picture. I mean, he, he cut his list of finalists to seven. Uh, I think it was last August, and Nevada was in there. And you look mm-hmm. at those seven that are that are on that list, and, you know, a lot of them maybe don't have the greatest fit. I mean, UCLA has a couple of five-star big guys they've signed. Uh, Gonzaga has some really good returning big guys and signed a five-star, you know, five-foot or seven-foot-two center. Uh, Oregon uh, signed Paul mm-hmm. Bowl, who's a five-star center, in addition to having Kenny Wooten, who was actually originally committed to Nevada, but he's a six-foot-ten shot blocker. Uh, so, I mean, you look at those three schools that are on his list, and, uh, you know, they're already pretty deep in the front court, so getting minutes might be a little bit more difficult. And then, you, you know, Louisiana Lafayette was on the list because his dad played there. I don't see that being a fit. St. John's recruited him right. super hard, but that's all the way across the country. Uh, so I don't think he'll end up going there which kind of just leaves Cal in Nevada. And I know Cal's kind of been the front runner because it's closer you know, to home. Uh, he played at Napa, uh, in Napa for a prolific prep this last year. Um, so a lot of people are leaning there. But, I mean, obviously Cal's kind of a rebuilding Pac-12 program, whereas Nevada could be a potential top-10 team in the country. Uh, and, you know, it kind of comes down to what does he want his usage rate to, to be. I mean, if he's at Cal, he can probably, you know, have a usage rate in the 30%. If he comes to Nevada right. and, you know, the Martin Twins and Caroline return, uh, you know, the usage rate might not be so high, but there's certainly a, a need for him at Nevada. I mean, the Wolfpack was playing with nobody taller than six foot seven last year. This is a six foot 11 kid who would step, you know, step into the starting lineup and easily get 25 to 30 minutes a game and, you know, get coached by, you know, to, to me, one of the better coaches in, in developing talent in college basketball and Eric Musselman. Uh, some teams like Arizona, Stanford, Louisville, uh, Louisville, North Carolina have tried to, you know, get into the picture of late with him. Um, but the fact that Nevada did go, you know, visit him in Sacramento was granted that right uh, about a week ago. I think, you know, spells really well for them at, at this stage in the game. I think, you know, uh, if, you, if you're a Wolfpack fan, maybe you don't expect to get him, but, there's still a pretty solid shot that Nevada's in that final two, three group uh, and gets a chance to, you know, potentially bring him here. And it, it would be a historic, you know, signing. I mean, Nevada's only had one McDonald's All-American ever come to school. And that was a local kid in Luke Babbitt uh, who just wanted to stay at home. Right. They've really never gone outside of, you know, the, the Reno area to get a, a player of this caliber. Um, you know, if I had to guess, he probably doesn't come to Nevada. But the fact that they're, you know, maybe in the final two or three, 
you know, within, uh, you know, a couple of weeks of him making a decision when they offered him, you know, literally three years ago, um, I think is a huge deal for the Wolfpack. And if they do get him, uh, you know, I've been asked, is Nevada a national title contender if everybody comes back to school? And I just can't see it. Just, uh, you know, I think they'll be a very, very good team. Um, but I think right. they have that one weakness as a big guy. I think if Jordan Brown comes to Nevada, they're a true national contender in my mind. I think he's that big of a difference maker as well. I think you saw it plain and simple, like in this year's tournament, if they had like one more option on offense and didn't have to rely, like you mentioned, they just had a poor game shooting from three. If they get a couple easy buckets inside from somebody like Brown, that's a total game changer. And then they're on their way to the final four this year. So I totally yeah. agree with you and I, I think, as far as like yeah, the dynamic, much- right? Yeah, I mean, as much as anything, it's just the length, too, uh, defensively. Uh, you know, I mentioned those uh, Loyola, you know, starting, you know, basically making his first 13 shots uh, of the second half and, and them being, you know, 11 of them being layups or dunks. I mean, Nevada just yeah. it's a super long team across the board, but just not at the rim. There's no length there. I mean, that's what they really missed the most in Cameron Oliver, you know, being a shot blocker and, and altering shots. Uh, right underneath the basket. Now Jordan isn't like the most. He's not like an athletic freak that's going to block a ton of shots. But you know he's six foot eleven and he has length. He's going to make things more difficult right. for you know guys driving to the rim and he can maybe knock a couple guys down and you know make them have second thoughts about going to the rim. So uh, you know they they have signed a six foot ten, six foot eleven kid in KJ Himes in the early period. He's a three star power forward, a pretty thin kid. Uh, and then they signed a six foot nine uh, bulkier guy, uh, Vincent Lee from Texas, also in the early period. So. Um, you know, they're going to have some more size from that freshman class for sure. Uh, but, you know, neither of those guys is ready to step in quite like a Jordan Brown would be able to. Sure. And I totally agree with you. It, maybe like the shot blocking numbers aren't like, you know, astronomical. But how about the shot altering numbers? Like, I think that would make a big difference. Yeah. I'm totally on board with you there. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. All right. Last thing. We, we saved this for last. You, you know, you, you, you have the pulse of this team and the, this city and this program. What's the insider feel on Cody, Caleb, and Jordan declaring but not hiring an agent? You know, uh, my part, uh, my co-host and I, Mike Randall, talked earlier on the podcast about obtaining obtaining information for your future profession. And this is like the only path that you can do uh, within the current framework and the current rules. Like what Wolfpack fans want all three of these studs back. What what do you think? What are you feeling here, Chris? And and what's what's like your take on all three kind of doing the announcement together and being a, a joint venture? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was expected. Uh, I don't think anybody was like shocked uh, that the decision was made to at least test the waters. I think, you know, it was a good sign that they didn't hire agents. Um, you mm-hmm. know, none of these guys are in a top 75 prospect big board right now. Uh, ESPN has uh, the two Martins, uh, I believe it like 89 for Cody and like 95 for Caleb. So right at the back okay. end there, uh, the only mock that really has them, you know, even being picked, his NBA draft.net uh, has uh, Caleb late in the first round and Cody in the middle of the second round. That's probably the, not, not the most reputable uh, mock draft out there. Um, so right. uh, it made sense for them to go out and, and test the waters. Uh, but I, I ultimately do think that they will be back. I don't think that they're going to stay in the draft long term. Um, you know, I think it is a good thing to get your name out there, get some exposure. Uh, you know, it, it's very different than, you know, uh, Cam Oliver last year. So Cam Oliver last year decided to go after his sophomore season. Um, but there were more scouts at Nevada's games last year than they were this year. Uh, there were more, uh, you know, interest hmm. in him. He got an immediate uh, invitation to the Combine. He had tryouts with 10 different yep. NBA teams. So exposure uh, was not an issue for, for Cam. I mean, Cam didn't go drafted. Uh, you know, he ended up signing a, a non-drafted uh, contract with the Rockets, which guaranteed him $300,000. So he made a, a good chunk of change, played in the G League this year. 
Um, but it, exposure was not an issue with him. I don't think coming back to Nevada really would have boosted him up too much because teams saw him. Teams knew what they were going to get from him. I think it's a little bit different with the Martins and Caroline. They didn't really get onto the national stage until, you know, the NCAA tournament. So I think this is a good chance sure. for them to get out there and, you know, see what teams tell them, see if they get a combine invite, see if they get workouts. And, you know, if they do get uh, all of those things and they're able to get some feedback and a little bit more exposure, I think that helps them because teams would be more interested in looking at them next year. I just don't see either of them uh, or any of the three of them popping, you know, into a guaranteed first-round spot. Uh, and, and none of them have said, okay, I need to go in the first round or I need to just be drafted to stay in. They haven't really put that kind of limitation on what exactly they're looking for. Um, so it's a little bit uh, unsure on exactly what would be required to get them into staying in the draft. Um, ultimately, I right. just think that the, the bond between the twins and the opportunity to play one more season together, um, it would mean so much that I do think they'll, they'll ultimately sit down and, and say, you know, we're not a guaranteed first round pick, so we're not getting that guaranteed money. Uh, you know, we wanted to play together. We haven't spent more than, you know, 48 hours away from each other in our entire lives. We're going to be a preseason top 10 team. You know, let's give it one more run and, and see what we can do. I guess the only uh, potential issue with that whole situation is, you know, both of the Martin twins are going to graduate in May. Um, so they would have achieved what they went to wow. college to do, which is get a degree and, uh, you know, make a Sweet 16 run twice. I mean, they were a Sweet 16 run with North Carolina State and with Nevada. I mean, do they say at that point, you know, we've, we've done what we went to college to do, and, you know, now we have an opportunity yeah. to go make some money. And if, if that means overseas, and that means overseas, if that means G League, that means G League, um, obviously you want to be an NBA player. Um, but I think that would be the the one hitch, you know, uh, in the in the, the the return is just that they they will have graduated from college. So at that point, that there isn't that lure of well, I need to stay to get my degree kind of thing. Uh, but like I said, I mean, ultimately, if if I had to bet my life on it, I would say all three are back in you know silver and uh, blue next season, and uh, you know leading the Wolfpack uh, hopefully for the Wolfpack's sake on an even deeper run in the NCAA tournament next year. Poof, man, I bet Wolfpack fans are glad to hear that. That's that that that's I love that gut feeling. And I, I kind of agree with you on the selfness, selflessness nature of both of those guys. Uh, it seems like they don't mind, but just by, you know, determining by the play on their uh, on the court, like they don't mind sharing the ball. They don't mind giving up the, the, the moment. And maybe they don't mind like just playing one more year and putting off like uh, a guaranteed contract or G League or overseas, whatever, you know, whatever the end result might be for one more opportunity to take a run at it. And I'm sure they've had conversations with Jordan about the exact same thing. That's, that's interesting. I like, I like your uh, outlook I, there. Um, yeah. yeah. They also, uh, very good parenting. I mean, obviously I grew up in a single household, a uh, very strong mother. I, I, they're not surrounded by people who are going to say, you know, you need to go make money for the family or something like that. They're going to say, what do you guys want? Right. To do? Uh, you know, there's not going to be that pressure that I've seen with other Wolfpack players, um, you know, to go basically live out the dream of the parents or the handler or the AAU coach. Um, sure. I, I think that they will get the right advice and ultimately the decision that they make will come down to, you know, them and not what somebody else feels. So I think that, that probably also helps in Nevada's favor. Um, you know, they're not going to be having somebody push them out the door uh, to achieve something, you know, for, for their parents or for somebody else other than themselves. And isn't it comforting as like a parent like that, you know, that those two student athletes are getting the proper parental influence from 
from the right location and the right words are being said in their ears by the right people. That's just so comforting. I'm so glad to hear that's very refreshing. I, I think that's all we need to know as far as like the NBA outcome or potential outcome of uh, the Nevada Wolfpack uh, stars from the Sweet 16 run. Chris, we just want to thank you so much. You can follow Chris Murray's uh, work at the Reno Gazette Journal. You can please give him a follow at Murray, capital R, capital G, capital J. And you can find all of his work at rgj.com. So if you want to punch up anything in print on Chris Murray, please do so there. Chris, thank you so much for joining the podcast and giving us a few minutes and some valuable insight on what might happen in Nevada and with the Wolfpack moving forward. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm the to the appetite. It's a